Hey, we're going to be doing something today, as I mentioned to you. We're going to look at a one-time sermon that I've been thinking about really for months. Uh, Never preached it before, so you'll be the judge if it's worthy to preach again in several years. Here's what we're titling it. We're titling it Four Gardens. Four Gardens. What we find from the Scripture is that there are four gardens mentioned in the Scriptures that have implications, as I mentioned a moment ago, in our past, in our present, and in our future. Listen to me our future decision-making. I want you to connect, and we'll talk about these. These four gardens have the ability or have the connection with our decision-making. We'll read these. They're all going to be very familiar to you, and, and I wish we could show you them on the screen, but since the screen isn't working, you're just going to have to write some things down, and you're going to have to get it. You'll be able to go back on YouTube and listen to the, this audio and the video again if you want to get it again, but we can't visually see it. Um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 says this, The Lord planted a garden. Come on, somebody say a garden a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord planted a garden, a garden, and he put the man whom he had formed. The first garden that we find in the scripture is called Eden. And Eden, based on our discussion and our teaching today, Eden is going to be called the garden of a bad decision. The garden of a bad decision. It didn't start out as a bad decision. The bad decision wasn't from God's standpoint. The bad decision we're going to find out was from man's standpoint. God planted this garden. God, everything in the garden we know from we read Genesis, the first couple chapters in Genesis, the garden was beautiful. It was perfect. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no inferiority in the man. The man actually walked with God in this beautiful place that he had made. Adam was in harmony with nature. He was in harmony with creation. He was actually in perfect harmony with God. There, 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 there was, a, there was a, a mutuality where he and God, we, what, what, what we believe from the scripture that we see in this one instance, that he walked with God. There was a communication with God Almighty that we can't even imagine really based on no sin, no crazy stuff going on in the world today. It, it, was, it was amazing. But then we know when we read the account that the serpent who Satan got in the garden. Uh, you know, Adam didn't maybe keep out the serpent. He, he, he let him come in and he started messing with Eve. And, and we, we know the scripture. He deceived Eve and, and talked to her about eating the fruit. And, and, and she bit the fruit and then he gave, she gave it to Adam. And he bit the forbidden fruit that, that God said don't do. And we know that was the point that sin then entered into the human race, entered into the man, entered into the woman, and they were forever, listen to me, forever separated from God the way it was. So what we see here, listen to me, in a beautiful place, Adam and Eve made a bad decision. In a perfect place, they made a bad decision. And I think this is really important for all of us, and you know, uh, maybe if you looked at different places around the world or places around America, and, and I don't know if it is now, but it used to be, if I could just get to California, 
California was the place to be. And if I could just get to Southern California, if I could just make it, you know, in Los Angeles, if I could just get there, then everything's going to be okay. But the problem is when you get there, you're there. You're, you're there. And you still have the ability to make a bad decision in a perfect place. And this is what we find in Eden. When God, after they sinned, again, you read the account in Genesis, God then removed the man and the woman from the garden. And he actually placed an angel, and the scripture says this, and there was a flaming sword, and I don't understand all that. It doesn't say an angel was flaming around, like some kind of kung fu. It just says there was a flaming sword that was going around back into the entrance so that they couldn't get back in there, because if they went back in there to the Garden of Eden and partook of the tree, the, uh, the tree of life that God said don't eat from, they would live forever, never able to experience experience redemption from God Almighty. So God protected the entrance from them going back in. How many know that's a bad decision? Now we know based on this, and we know based on our life and from scripture account, that sin separates us from God's best. Sin separates us from the word of God, God's will. Sin separates us from our spouses. Sin separates us from our friends. Sin separates us from the word of God working in our life. And bad decisions do exactly the same thing. They have the power to separate us. And we see that here again and again. Adam's decision cost him his authority to rule and reign over this creation that God entrusted him to. God actually says, the ground's going to be cursed now for you. There's going to be a curse in creation. Adam, you're going to be cursed because with the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to beat the, pardon me, the now hell out of this ground to bring forth anything. That's not the way it was in creation. But you're going to have to do something I didn't design you to do to work in this field. Hey, Eve, there's going to be some curse on you because you're going to have you're going to have this husband you're going to have to deal with. And he ain't going to be like the way he used to be. And there's going to be pain in childbirth. Evidently, that wasn't God's original intent. Just saying. And hey, by the way, serpent, we cursing you, too. And by the way. Genesis 3.15, there's somebody coming that you're going to try to snip up at him and bite him, but he's going to crush your head. Somebody in church say amen. amen. <laughs> now what's amazing about the account, before it's almost all said and done and we move on to another chapter in the breakdown of the book of Genesis, one of the last things that I see there is just so amazing to me. Because up until that time, the woman had no name. Adam means man or mankind. So I get it when God was fellowshipping in the cool of the day with man. It wasn't just Adam. He called Adam and he and she both came. Because at the end of all this, the scripture says Adam named her Eve. Do you know what Eve means? Eve means life. The mother of of all living. And in the middle of getting kicked out of the garden, in the middle of a bad decision, Adam still sees the redemptive possibility of God and calls her wife life. I don't know about you, but I might have called her the death angel. Come on, somebody. 
<laughs> but how many of you know God's got a little bit better way for us? The scripture says this, that God then, again, you can read all this, right? Come on, that's why we read the Bible. We get, we, we get to thinking like God. God then killed an animal that he had made, took the blood from that animal, his life, symbols, symbolizing the blood of the one that was coming, Christ, took the animal skins and clothed them with these animal skins. Again, a type of us now in the future being clothed and covered with the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. Um, what I know from this account and what I know from my own life, and I think you'd all agree, is that God can redeem bad decisions. Maybe not exactly the way they were, but there's always hope with God. Can somebody say amen? amen? You might not ever get remarried to that man you divorced. You might not ever go back to that job that you got fired from because you cheated. But God can redeem it, a bad decision that you made. And I'm thanking God for the hope in that. Let's look at another garden. So far, so good? We okay, everybody? How's everybody online doing? We can't hear you. Come on, everybody. M Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Let's look at this second garden. Matthew 26. I'll read this in the Living Bible. It says this in Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus brought them to a garden grove, Gethsemane, and told them to sit down. This was Peter, James, and John while he went on ahead to pray. He took Peter with him and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and they began to be filled. Jesus was filled with anguish and despair. Verse 38 says, Then he told them, My soul is crushed with horror and sadness to the point of death. Stay here, he said. Stay here and stay awake with me. And he went on just a little bit further, a little forward, and he fell downward, the scripture says, on the ground, and he prayed, and he said, My father... If it's possible, let this cup be taken away from me, but I want your will, not mine. Come on, somebody say it with me. God's will. Come on, God's will. Gethsemane, this second garden, Gethsemane, listen to me, is the garden of a hard decision. Gethsemane represents for you and me the garden of a hard decision. Jesus said in a couple of different translations, my heart is overwhelmed with grief. One translation says, he said, I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm dying. Jesus sweat great drops of blood, another translation says. He was agonizing in knowing what was coming, what was in his future. He was agonizing in knowing, I know the cross is coming. I know I'm going to get whipped. I know I'm going to get beaten. I know I'm going to get left. I know Peter's going to deny me. I know Judas is going to kiss me. I, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And everybody in the room, listen to me, you are going to go through multiple, listen to me, multiple Gethsemane moments and times in your life. Hebrews 7, excuse me, Hebrews 5, verse 7 through 9 says this. While Jesus was here on the earth, he offered up prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though, he was, even though Jesus was God's son, check it out, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. 
In this way, God qualified him as the perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Listen to me. Everybody in the room, you're not going to escape this if you're going to fulfill the will of God. There are going to be times in your life where you are going to wrestle, wrestle, and have to come to a place of surrender to the will of God. I, I, I surrender this to you, Lord God. I surrender my will to you. I'm 20 years old, and I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm, I'm in my, between my uh, second and third year university, and I think I'm going one direction, and yet there's this constant tug in my heart to serve God full time. I don't come from a lineage of pastors. I don't know any pastors and preachers in my background. We all know that, that sometimes that, that gets handed down per se. We see it in families where the dad would serve God, the granddad or grandma, whoever. And that, that was not in my history lineage. And yet I know that I've got to go to Bible school. And there's a wrestling. And, and there's, there's a constant of surrendering to God. And, and fighting, if you will, my own flesh. And, and moving to Canada when they couldn't pay us any money. And, and moving down here, even though we wanted to be here. How, how are we going to make this happen, God, 20, almost 22 years ago? Listen to me, I don't care how old you are, how much you know the Word of God, there's going to be times in your life that you're going to be required to face your Gethsemane. Where you're going to have to submit your will and your way to your God. If you're going to see God break through in your life, this garden can be beautiful, this garden can be great, but it's a garden of suffering and pain and agonizing, yielding, to the heartbeat of God for your particular life. When maybe nobody else understands it. And, and, and Jesus gets his disciples around him. And then takes Peter and James and John a little bit with him. But he goes further. Listen, God's demanding that you go further in your surrendering to him to experience his breakthroughs in your life. It's our daily decision. Lord God, today I decide to take up my cross and to follow you. I'm not taking up sickness and disease and that's my cross to bear. That's not what the scripture says. It's about yielding my will to your will. Yielding my way to your way. The scripture says, maybe you missed it. Let me give it to you one more time. Hebrews 5, Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Jesus in his humanity learned obedience to the Father through his suffering. His mission was submission. I am submitted to your mission. I believe this with all my heart. The decisions that you make will then make you. This is good. This is bad. It goes either way. And so God's asking us to continually surrender to his will. What's amazing about the story, we know because we can read the whole thing. We can read before, the middle of it, what was going on. We can read the after effects of it. That this eternal decision that Jesus made as, as, as the source of our life, how many know that worked out pretty well for us? <laughs> pretty well for us. So, so a pretty important decision. I, I'm saying that sarcastically. Pretty important. Eternally important. Was made by Jesus in Gethsemane. And this Garden of Gethsemane 
you're going to make life-altering decisions for you, listen to me, and your family and your future. And God is asking you to continually surrender and take up your cross and follow him. You know, Gethsemane actually means, that. here's what it means, the definition. It means oil press, oil press. That's what it means. We could say it means this, a pressing out of every impurity in our life. That God says, I'm demanding that you come to Gethsemane, this garden of a hard decision, and your will and your way and your direction and your focus and your future gets pressed out, and my will and my direction and my focus and my ambition gets put in your life as well. This is only done in prayer. You can't read about it. You can't have somebody lay hands on you and, and you, 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 know, you get this little you know, touch of suffering. No, no, no. This is something you do that you're going to have to daily, probably, weekly, pro month after month, maybe it is, that you have a breakthrough in your life and you surrender that I'm going to give my heart to God. I, I'm, give, I'm surrendering my heart to you once and for all. No more on the fence, no more back, no more girls on the side, guy, no more one night stands, no more thinking these crazy thoughts, no more stuff on the internet. I'm not doing that anymore. No more, no more not serving you, no more coming to church and it being a Sunday, not an Easter thing. I'm surrendering my life to you fully. Have me, God. I break myself before you. Man, only going to happen, listen to me, by you. Listen to me. God can't break what you don't give to him. He won't break. But if you turn, he'll receive you and he'll begin working in your life. And you'll see a break. It's like, I say it this way. I, in our house, we've got, you know, in the backyard and in this, you know, just like a lot of us, wherever you live, you've got some cement in the backyard and you've got the way the brothers made the cement and there's always cracks, right? They make cracks because expansion and contraction. And I'm like going, pardon me, pardon me when I say this, how the hell did all those weeds get in my crack? <laughs> weeds always find a way to grow. Always. So if I'll just say to God, Lord God, I'm giving you my life, and I might look hard right now, and it might look, can I tell you something? God's got a way of planting a seed that'll grow anywhere. Come on, everybody. Amen. Come on, everybody. Say amen and amen. So question you ask yourself, that we got to ask yourself consist, you know, consistently. Okay, God, what did you say in the Bible, and what are you saying in prayer? What have you already said? What is written? What come on, red letters? What Jesus say? What Paul say? What Peter say? What Jude say? Come on, James say? What the Old Testament brothers say? What's the, what's the Bible already say right now? And what are you telling me in prayer? Because what we know about prayer is that prayer processes the plan of God. So when I know, I, I, Lord, I, I, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to I hear from you. And, and, and prayer, listen, what I say it this way, is, is that prayer allows you to know his way, maybe not his why. One more time. Prayer allows you to know his way, maybe not his why. Why are you asking me to do this? Why do I have to surrender this? Sometimes it's silence. That's where you got to learn to trust God.
Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, in the God's Word translation. I like what it says. God, who shows you his kindness and who has called you through Christ Jesus to his eternal glory, check out what he's going to do. He's going to restore you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to make you strong. He's going to support you. Wow, and I think at the end of it, put a period there, but not Pete. Because the book of 1 Peter deals with what we're talking about. So one more time, let me read it completely. God, who shows you in his kindness that he's called you through Jesus Christ to his eternal glory. Heaven's your home, guys. He's going to restore you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to make you strong. He's going to support you as you suffer for a little while. As you suffer for a little while. God never promised anybody. He never promised, listen to me, never promised, never promised a suffer-free life. What the scripture says is God promised that he would be with us in our suffering. We sang the song, I'm not afraid. Come on, somebody. I'm not afraid. When I'm in the fire, you're going to be with me. When it feels like I'm overcome by the waters, I won't be drowned. I'm not going to be drowned, but there is some fire. But there is some water. But there is some suffering. Gethsemane is a place of a hard decision where you just throw it all off and say, God, I choose to obey you. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Third garden we read in the scripture. It's after what we're going to be talking about on Good Friday. What we see there was when Jesus was crucified. John 19, verse 38. I love it, what it says here. Check it out. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea. This is after Jesus was, was on the cross. After, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, he asked Pilate for permission to take down the body of Jesus. When Pilate gave him permission, Joseph came and he took the body away. Check this out now. With him came Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed oil and made from myrrh and the aloes. Following the, the, the Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body up with pieces of long sheets of linen cloth. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never before used. Golgotha is our third garden. Golgotha is called, in our discussion today, the place of a good decision, the place of a good decision. Not the decision, I don't want to highlight right here the good decision of Jesus going to the cross for us because that's the greatest decision and thank God he surrendered that in Gethsemane. But, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting what we see this that we can even insert our lives into this equation here with this decision maybe uh, uh, with, with such fluidity as we find these two brothers here and we'll talk about them in a second. The scripture Isaiah says this, Isaiah prophesies 400 or 450 years before this event, 
and he prophesies about this one, the Messiah, to come. And Isaiah says this, he has done no wrong, and there's never, he's never deceived anybody, but he was buried like a criminal, and he was put in a rich man's grave. 450 years in the future, Jesus hangs on a cross, suffering and dying for your and my sin, and he's now put in a rich man's grave named Joseph of Arimathea. This was all done on Friday, the scripture tells us, Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, because the Sabbath was about to begin. And what we see from the scripture account is that Joseph of Arimathea used his influence to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. King James says he begged for the body of Jesus Christ to be given to him to take it down from the cross. Luke's account of Joseph of Arimathea, Luke says he was a good and he was a righteous man. He was a member of the Jewish high council. He was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. That's Joseph of Arimathea. But then we've got this other guy in the mix that we see in this entire story, and his name was Nicodemus. We read about Nicodemus in John chapter 3 because Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he asks him questions about eternal life. And Jesus says, listen, you must be born again. Remember that account? And he says, how can I be born again? How can I go back in my mother's womb? And Jesus says, brother, this is my vernacular, brother, you got it all messed up. I ain't talking about something natural. I'm talking about something spiritual or supernatural. But what we find is something in my view, I hope you're leaning into this, it's staggering that nowhere else in the scripture do we ever read anything about Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus until this point right here. Man. And when Jesus was on that cross, something sparked in Joseph of Arimathea, and something sparked, I believe those brothers were connected, in Nicodemus to say, we can't leave him there. And we're going to use our influence, and we're going to risk it all, and we're going to invite somebody to Good Friday and Easter service, and we're going to risk our reputation, and, and we're going to have a Bible study at work on Fridays, and, and I'm going to be gregarious in my love for other people. I don't care what anybody else says, because I'm here to beg somebody else that's in power for the body of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how gruesome you think this thing is, but, but the, the crucifixion on the cross was awful. And Jesus was beaten and marred more than any man, the scripture says. He didn't even look like a man. His face was swollen. There was blood everywhere. His back was, was just beaten to awfulness. And his hands and his side, he's dead at this point. Body's dead. He's gone to paradise. And a man says, he can't stay there. He can't stay in that condition. And we look at other people going through things. And yet we find these men that use their influence to reach Jesus and get him down from that cross. How much blood did they get on themselves? Scripture says they brought him down. I don't know if they had a crew. I don't know how they get a little ladder up there. 
and trying to get the nails out of his hands and his wrist and his feet. I, 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 don't, I don't know what smell was going on. How long? I, I don't. But they risked it all. And they didn't care. Because, listen, Jesus made a good decision to suffer for them. And now they're making a good decision. I'll be identified and I'll suffer for you. I'll be used by you. And I don't believe, we can't have no scripture for it. I don't believe these guys ever knew they were going to be used prophetically in this time. To be used by God. That I've got a tomb. I've got a tomb that nobody's been in before. I've got resources. I've got Nicodemus. I've got money. I'm going sp- I'm, I'm to buy 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh, and I'm going to prepare this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use my influence. I'm going to use my wealth. I'm going to use my resources because this good decision he made has affected me, and how can I repay him for the words he's spoken to me, my God? And so what I know about good decisions, listen to me, not all good decisions or not all decisions that look bad stay bad. Sometimes and many times when you follow the word of God, all of a sudden the seed of that decision to follow God, to follow his word, to follow his spirit, it might look stupid, it might look crazy, but God turns it around. Can somebody say amen? Jesus said this in John 12, unless a seed of grain falls in the ground and dies, it abides alone. But when it dies, it's going to produce much grain. Jesus was prophesying about his own life. When my life goes in the ground, my life goes in the grave, it's going to be risen up and it's going to produce a mighty harvest. And so listen to me. There are decisions that you and I make every day. You might have to make a serious one today. That you might come to a Golgotha experience today that God's asking you to make a God decision, a good decision based on something that will honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That you surrender your life. You surrender your will. You're not going to make a bad decision. You're not going to lean into the flesh. You're not going to lean into your past. You're not going to lean into your fear. But you just make up your mind. I'm going to be used by God to honor him and to serve him. The scripture says this. If the devil himself had understood what this would have meant, that, you know, having Jesus go to the cross, instigating the Romans and the, and the religious people, he would have never done it. How many of y'all know that we can be used by God to just put a black eye in the devil's face? Come on, somebody, that excites me. Come on, somebody, clap your hands, all you people. Yeah. And so what I know about good decisions, and one of the decisions that we make all the time is that, is, is that sometimes we just go, well, I'm, I, that must have been a really bad decision that I made there. I mean, I mean I'm talking about one that you, you're, 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 you're being led by God. You, know, you just know it is God. I know this is the will of God, and, and I decided to follow him and give that and serve and reach out. And, and it's like I got spit in my face, and it doesn't. Listen to me. Here's what I just say. Give it time just like you give time to a seed. Because when you plant a seed, you never get a harvest overnight. But eventually it shows up. Give it time. Come on, somebody. Give it time. I love what Job said in Job chapter 19. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. He shall stand. Come on. He shall stand at last on the earth. And Job says this, after my skin is destroyed, 
I know this, that my flesh is going to see God. He says, listen to me, you might look at me right now and I might look like, look, look like a mess. I got boils all over me, Job. I, 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 I've, been, I've been deserted by everybody. My, my kids all got killed. All my stuff, my camels and my sheep all got taken away. I, I don't look like nothing right now. But I do know one thing, my Redeemer lives. Come on, my Redeemer lives. I, I know my skin's looking jacked up right now, but I'm going to stand before God. My flesh is going to see God. Woo! He made a good decision. I'm making that decision myself. I'm not going to curse God and die. I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on, anybody like that this morning? Come on, anybody online like that this morning? Let's talk about this last one. Come on, y'all listen real good. This last one is this one that's coming for all of, all of us that made Jesus the Lord of our life. It's found in the book of Revelation chapter 22. And we'll read another portion of Revelation 2. Revelation 22, verse 1. The angel shows John a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What we see in this last garden is called heaven. Heaven. The garden of an eternal decision. That this garden, this place is available for every single person that makes Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. The scripture says there's a a tree in the middle, in the middle of this river. And, and theologians and, and people a whole lot smarter than me <laughs> try to figure this out because it says, it says that there's this tree and it's, it's on either side of the, it's on either side of this river. How you got a tree that's in the middle, but it's on either side of the river. Many believe it's just so large, this tree of life that we find in the book of Genesis, the same tree, the same tree that it's so large that its branches and its, its leaves reach on both sides of this river. It goes wherever. It reaches to whoever. And it brings healing and it brings victory to whoever. This is our future. This is the future of every believer that makes Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. Forever, forever, in the presence of God, enjoying the fruit of who Jesus Christ is to you and me. Enjoying the benefit of, listen to me, going through a Golgotha, going through a Gethsemane, going through a Garden of Eden and saying, no, I'm not going to eat that. No, I'm not going to touch that. I've made up my mind that I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live for God. John, the beloved apostle, he writes the book of Revelation, and he writes about these seven real churches in chapter 2 and 3. And he says about one in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You and I. 
are going to have the ability in our new created bodies to eat from the very paradise fruit of our Savior, forever fulfilled, forever, forever satisfied and satiated with the richness, not just in flavor, but about what it does to our spirits. Listen to me. This place called heaven is worth everything that as Jesus tells this parable about a man who found a piece of property, a man who wanted something so bad, he just gave all his money to buy this field. Listen to me. This place called heaven forever and ever with God is worthy of us surrendering and giving our entire life and purpose and direction forward. You will never, ever be disappointed from surrendering all to Jesus Christ. Young, old, and everybody in between. The word paradise in the scripture here, it actually means garden. God has brought man full circle. He was put in a garden, but through a bad decision, it caused it caused Christ to suffer in Gethsemane and to pay the penalty for us on a place called Golgotha. And we get an image and a picture of us laying down everything, surrendering everything like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and surrendering our lives to believe him and to trust him and to serve him. And God then brings us back full circle into an eternal place called heaven where we forever and ever get to spend eternity with the King of Kings. Come on, somebody. And the Lord of Lords. Come on, no more sickness. Come on, everybody. No more pain. No more shame. The scripture says our citizenship is in heaven. I don't want just a U.S. passport or a Mexican passport. I want a passport from heaven. Come on, everybody. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul says we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly wait. So what I do today matters. Every decision today matters. Not, not just because I'm older. Not, I mean, there's some things now that Kimber and I talked about regularly <laughs> that we know some guys that are older and they've just made some bad decisions. Bad decisions about marriage, bad decisions about money, bad decisions about friends, bad, deci bad decisions and, and have never quite recouped from their bad decisions. I mean, I mean, I'm not talking about changing their life eternally, me, me, meaning them and God, just, just bad decisions. So it's not just for young people making a bad choice with sleeping with somebody or whatever, or getting involved in a gang and accept well, all those things. Every single one of us have the opportunity every single day to make decisions for Jesus that will honor him, that will honor ourselves and our families, honor the kingdom of God, the people of God, the community of Christ. God's asking us to surrender it all. Come on, would you stand with me all in the room? online as well. Come on, stand up out of your chair if you're in the house. If you're driving your car, please don't stand and you're watching that. Come on, bow your head. Lord God, today. Come on, let's just do this. Put your hands right out in front of you. That's just your altar. Let's just do that. That's your altar. You're making an altar. And come on, just follow me in this prayer. Say this with your mouth. Dear Heavenly Father, I surrender my life to you today.
Use me how you want to use me. Lead me how you want to lead me. I come to Gethsemane. And I wrestle with my flesh. And I surrender my spirit and my soul to your will and your way. Use me like you use these two men. Well, I'll use my influence for the body of Christ. And I thank you today that heaven is my home to live with you forever and ever. In Jesus' name. Come on, would you lift your hands and just thank God all over the room. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father, for that. That our future is bright. Come on, somebody. Our future is bright. Come on, everybody. Our future is bright. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, you listened real good today. Trust that you got something to take home with you. Four gardens. Four gardens. The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Golgotha. And a Garden of Paradise called Heaven. Reach somebody this week. Make a decision. I'm going to be used by God this week. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to be bold. Be bold. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to back into anything. Jesus gave his life. I want to be like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Come on. They risked it all. And they begged for that body. I'm going to be begged to be used by God this week. I'm going to pray. God's going to help me. I'm going to be an influencer for the kingdom of God. You watch what happens. Come on. Bring somebody with you. You don't have to wait till Good Friday or Easter. Bring them with you next week. Come on, everybody. We believe when they come to church, they'll be touched by God's power. And you can also lead people to Jesus. You do realize this right there in your own home, over coffee, whatever, right there in the office. You can just have to, let's pray. <laughs> your intention, you're in trouble, you're in transition. You need Jesus. Amen. Our prayer partners are going to be up here if we can pray with you about anything, about making Jesus the Lord of your life, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's another step that I believe everybody needs to be a part of. You need to give your life to another step of being filled with God's Spirit. You're going to see power come in your life like never before. If you ever experienced that, let one of our prayer partners pray with you. We can pray about anything in your life, relationally, physically, whatever. We serve a good, good God. Amen, everybody? We love you. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.